0: Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Haj Asad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our show, it is a blast. Thank you for trying something new. We do this every week, uh, or every week we can try. And me and Ben are a pair of automotive journalists. You can find our work all over the internet. And I'm going to let Ben take control of the mic. I'm carefully letting him take control of the mic to tell people where to find his work. And I'm very carefully
1: not touching the mic because it's sticky and I don't know why Uh, Sammy has a bad candy habit. Anyway, you can find my work at uh, Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Inside Hook, and at Driving Line, and occasionally at Haggerty.
0: We all know why my mic is sticky. It's because you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and TechSpot. It's sticky, Ben's- Sammy,
1: because of the honey drip from your voice. You've got that radio voice that, that the most of us can only dream about.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I dreamed about it for a long time. I rubbed so many lamps um, to <laughs> see if I could get this voice as a, as a wish from a <laughs> genie.
1: I have a question. How much longer can we make a reference to rubbing lamps and genies before like
0: like I don't know if
1: modern entertainment includes that? What that
0: are you talking truck. about? Aladdin got a reboot, so I guess with that's Will Smith. True. I guess that's unless true. he's been like cancelled and erased from the history of music uh, of movies now.
1: <laughs> the history of anime
0: was it animated? Mm, I mean he was, I think, as a genie.
1: Okay. I'm not sure. I haven't seen that. I've only seen the Disney one from the nineties.
0: Yeah. That's a good one.
1: It is a good one. Robin Williams, R.I.P.
0: Yes. We're ready to talk some cars today, my man? My ma- I, I, I am. Rub that lamp. Let's go. Cars or trucks? Let's rub the lamp. It says trucks. Okay. Let's go for it, Ben. What have you been driving? I'd rather if the lamp granted wishes
1: rather than directing our podcast, but I'll <laughs> take what I can get. I uh, bought
0: got that kind of lamp?
1: <laughs> I'm, I spent a week driving the 2022 Honda Ridgeline, Sammy.
0: Okay. Now, so- this is the car that should be... Um, worried about its life because there's a lot, of, there, there's many more small pickup trucks these days, right? Yeah, so,
1: so the, we've talked about the Ridgeline in the past on the show, and yeah. the the whole thing about the Ridgeline, the whole a- aspect of it that made it unique was that it was a unibody pickup, and it was in a world where it was the only unibody pickup. I mean, it's been around for over a decade. It didn't change much for the first generation. And it's in its current generation, which I think arrived around 2017 or 2018. It also hasn't changed much. It got like a cosmetic refresh last year, and it got infotainment system upgrade that came with a volume knob, so everyone was happy. Yay! Um, but it's call still- it a
0: day, Honda. That's all we need.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's still the same basic package. Uh, you get an all-wheel drive. You get a very familiar V6, three and a half liters. Uh, I think it's 280 horsepower and 262 pound-feet of torque. comes with a 9-speed automatic transmission. And there's not much difference between the models. Like, the Sport is basic, then you get leather with the RTL, and then you get a few more luxury features with the RTL-E. And, of course, like every pickup truck manufacturer out there, they make a Black Edition, which is basically just... Yeah, it's just an appearance package. So all of that is great if you're the only unibody truck on the market and and that's the only place people can turn to if they want to pick up that feels more like a crossover than a traditional truck but in the last year two years we've gotten two very 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 good unibody trucks we've got the Ford Maverick and we've got mm-hmm. the Hyundai Santa Cruz and this is hugely problematic for Honda Sammy
0: yeah it's a big deal um now like first of all, both of those are unibody. Um, both feature smaller engines, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, um, and less powerful motors. The, well, no, think-
1: they're 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 smaller, but they're not less powerful. Okay. this is actually a good entry point because at, on the surface, it doesn't look like you would compare a midsize Ridgeline with a compact Maverick or a compact Santa Cruz. But if you peel back the details, it starts to get really, really close. For for example. The yep. Line and the ha- Santa Cruz both have a 5,000-pound tow rating Be- because the Santa Cruz can come with a 281-horsepower turbocharged 4 that has 311-pound-feet of torque. That's one yep. more horsepower than the Honda uh pickup, which I'm sure was not an accident, and it's considerably more torque. It's like 50-pound-feet more. Right. Um the but the Maverick is only a thousand pounds less than the Ridgeline. It can tow up to four thousand pounds if you order it with its own EcoBoost Turbo, which also has more torque than the Ridgelines V six, two hundred and fifty horsepower and two hundred and seventy seven pound feet. This just, this is problematic. This it's is problematic.
0: problematic. This is issue. Sammy, Can it gets tell worse. you in any way where the Ridgeline is, is feeling more of a, a more confident purchase than one of those two new pickups? I wish I could, Sammy, because it gets really? worse. It okay. gets worse.
1: So the Ridgeline it has about 1,600 pounds of payload, like roughly. Okay. Uh, the the Maverick has 1,500 pounds. That's okay. extremely close, 100 pounds. Yeah. It's not really going to make a difference. The, Rid- the, the Santa Cruz pretty much matches the ridgeline for payload. So you've got these two smaller, more advanced trucks that can do pretty much everything that the ridgeline can do from a trucking perspective. The big Mm. differences are in bed length. Okay. Yeah. So the Ridgeline's about 5.3 feet. I think it's just under five and a half feet, I think. Uh, so that makes it a foot longer from the the
0: end of of the cab to the end of the bed or the end of the tailgate.
1: I don't do end of the tailgate. That's, that's a fool's game. Um, so you've got a foot more.
0: <laughs> All the truck journalists out there listening. Well,
1: when they're was the last time minutes. you hauled something that was that long with the bed open? Probably didn't do that. Anyway, uh, it, it, it's got the advantage in terms of length. Uh, I believe that the, the Maverick has underbed storage. I'm not exactly sure. I know there's a lot of storage nooks and crannies in the Santa Cruz and the Maverick beds. I'm just not sure how big they are. But the Ridgeline's got this big... Um, kind of. I don't
0: think the Maverick does. I think the Santa Cruz does.
1: Okay. It's got like a big trunk in the, in the bed. It's also got a dual action tailgate. So you can kind of use it, uh, like a, like a barn door and open it sideways or plop it down. So those are kind of, I guess, advantages that the Ridgeline has. But there, there are two huge disadvantages that the Ridgeline has that these compact trucks really eat its lunch at. Um, We've already talked about how they're pretty much a match for capability and how they overpower the Ridgeline, but yep. they also are dramatically less expensive, and probably more fuel efficient, aren't they? Well, I'll get to that because oh, okay. so the Ridgeline costs thirty eight grand. That's yes. the base base price. I'm that sorry, is say that again. Thirty eight thousand.
0: Thirty eight thousand. Yeah, thirty eight thousand. Yes, that's what it starts at a Ridgeline. Yeah, a Ridgeline. Well, hold on. Isn't like a Ranger and a and a like a Tacoma significantly cheaper than that?
1: Well, I can tell you that the Maverick and the
0: Santa Cruz are fifteen thousand dollars less. <laughs> yeah, I mean the Maverick. The Maverick is this weird value play where you can get like in the mid twenties or something, right? But
1: Sammy, yes, the the Maverick, Well, the Maverick starts at like nineteen. Okay, yeah, so,
0: maybe. So if I can find, if one you can that. find
1: the hybrid, but uh, it gets worse though because the most expensive version of the Maverick and the Santa Cruz. Are like the same price as the cheapest, <laughs> the cheapest Ridgeline.
0: Okay, but you've got to tell me that there's maybe some space in the cab that makes the the Ridgeline more appealing in some ways. Well, another, the Ridgeline
1: right? does have a larger back seat, and yeah. I used it. I I packed a whole bunch of track stuff into it to head down to a track day, and I managed to fit a whole bunch of stuff in there. I also fits a bunch of tires and a uh, self powered snowblower in the back of the Ridgeline, and I don't okay. think I don't think I would have been able to do both of those things in either the Santa Cruz or the, the fort. Um well, that's a
0: pretty good endorsement of what the ridgeline's capable of. Course, of course my
1: ramps were sticking up over the back because they're six mm. feet and the, the bed is only five point three. But um to to say that you could get the nicest version of the Santa Cruz or the nicest version of the Maverick for the same price as a base ridgeline, I think is is really a problem for Honda. And and fuel mileage is also a problem. So <sighs> Honda's rated at something like 18 miles per gallon city and 24 miles per gallon highway, but I was almost exclusively highway and I got 19 miles per gallon. How could it be that bad? That is less than like a, but I think the Ford V6. Did you keep it in like third gear or something? No, the the Ford, uh, F 150 with the base V6, I think that's better than that. And that's a full size truck. So you compare that to the Maverick, which is 37 miles per gallon for the, for the hybrid. Um, mm-hmm. but even the, even the EcoBoost beats it 23 and 30 on yeah. the, on the highway. Uh, yeah. and if you go all wheel drive, because the, the Maverick doesn't start with all wheel drive, it's only like one mile per gallon less. So the fuel economy for the Santa Cruz also better than the Ridgeline. Okay. I, yeah. I feel like I've just spent this entire time telling you that you can get cheaper, better trucks that do almost exactly the same thing. So why does Honda, what does Honda do moving forward from here? Because I, the Ridgeline's not a bad problem. truck. Just...
0: No, you're right. I think this is a, this is actually a, a major identity issue for the Ridgeline. Is that it always represented the truck for occasional truck users? You or know what I mean? Or people who like,
1: didn't want a truck, but
0: occasionally, exactly.
1: occasionally they needed an open cargo bed,
0: and they wanted that uh, that one time a year um, uh, capability without sacrificing sort of the. Because if I remember correctly, the Ridgeline is is fairly nice. Uh, it's fairly decent to drive. It has a a an interior that's very reminiscent of, say, an Accord or a Pilot or a or a Passport. Yeah, it's
1: very comfortable. I mean, it doesn't feel upscale, but it mm. does. It, it 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 feel when you drive it. It's definitely much more compliant than any uh,
0: traditional body-on-frame pickup.
1: No question.
0: Right. But and now, but now you've got these two other rivals coming in, um, that have stolen this. Have stolen this identity straight from from under uh, Honda's nose, really. And Honda either needs to go more trucky – I don't think they can pull that off – or less trucky. And I don't know if they can pull that off while still making – and and dropping the price by nearly – at least eight grand, like at least eight grand.
1: I I think what they need to do is um, – they need to stop neglecting the Ridgeline because the Ridgeline, I think, was not a major focus for them. And I think they had a core group of customers. And now that core group of customers is definitely threatened by two better options. You'll you'll also notice that the both the Maverick and the um, Santa Cruz have two drivetrain options. But so the, the the Ridgeline has only ever had the V6. Yeah. So that's not great from a fuel efficiency perspective. And it's also probably affecting their pricing. If you look at other midsize trucks, I mean, the Ranger and the Nissan Frontier are also single drivetrain trucks. Yes. But the Tacoma, the the GMC, and the Chevrolet um, options in its class, they they have multiple drivetrains. Not so, to oh,
0: mention the Jeep, the Gladiator. Oh, I didn't even think of the Jeep. Yeah. I, to,
1: to, to me, the Jeep is like a weird outlier because um, it's super expensive. Yeah, so I I don't really I think that's a, more of an enthusiast vehicle. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it, it's clear that Ridgeline can't just continue to coast, which is kind of what it's been doing. I, I, and I will say, it did drive quite well, but there was one part of it. The, the experience that was not at all positive, And that was the adaptive cruise control. Um, mm. It had trouble maintaining its speed. If I got to a hill, it would drop one or two uh, miles per hour. And if I put the car in eco mode or econ mode, it's, I guess, the thriftiest uh, version of the engine management and, and transmission, I would lose like three or four miles an hour every time I hit a hill. So I couldn't use yeah. it. And that's really weird. Like,
0: that's s- just keeping it in, like, top gear all the time. You, you don't no see what.
1: that in other vehicles. It just doesn't happen. And I also had, it kept picking up, like, in, a, in sharper highway corners, it would pick up traffic beside me and slam the brakes on. Ooh. Yeah. Again, so the- something that doesn't happen with other vehicles. So I feel like the Ridgeline is kind of a mix of um, modern and more old school design, just in the sense that Honda hasn't innovated with it. They innovated once when they first made it and then kind of walked away. I would like to think they can do better with this truck. Uh, it's kind of like when the Tacoma was the Tacoma forever and no one, there were no other options. There weren't any other midsize competitors. Mm-hmm. And then when Chevrolet came out with the Colorado and GMC had the Canyon, suddenly the Tacoma was not nearly as appealing as it used to be. And they've been slowly bringing it up to spec. Um, in, in this exploding midsize pickup segment. So I would like to think that the my
0: favorite, my favorite thing about that era, that moment when the new Colorado happened is that sales of the frontier skyrocketed because, (laughs) because people were like, well, I don't want to spend that much for a, for a a new truck, uh, a new midsize truck. And there's nothing really special about the Tacoma now. So I might as well just get the cheap Frontier, right? And, what, Boom, and, and
1: What's interesting <laughs> is that Honda didn't seem to feel threatened either. They didn't no. really do anything. But now, now they have these other unibody trucks, which is a whole new kettle of fish. And yeah. I would also say that size-wise, uh, the smaller trucks from Hyundai and Ford are just better options for if you live in a city. Mm-hmm. and and they're easier to drive, they're easier to park. it's not like the Ridgeline is a massive vehicle, but it is fairly large. So that's another area where Honda's kind of they're in this weird border border town now. They they're not quite a traditional mid sized truck and they're not nearly as competitive as compacts that have all of the good aspects of the Ridgeline and none of its none of its bad aspects.
0: Look, if it was me, if I was uh if I really wanted to make the the Ridgeline stand out, I think lowering cutting the price of it by, by a hefty margin would go a long way. I know that's probably not feasible from a business point yeah, of I view, mean, obviously. Yeah, how, how often
1: does Honda do that? They're not necessarily known for, for deep discounting.
0: No. Um, and then from then on, I don't. Even, I, I have no idea how they can quickly put the Ridgeline back in the name of Truck Shoppers. I, I uh, kind rock, of think, back in the mind of Truck Shoppers.
1: I kind of think we're in a situation where we're we, similar to what Honda's doing with the Odyssey. Uh, with When the minivan segment kind of evaporated... And Ford got out, GM got out, uh, and there was really only Dodge, sometimes Kia and Toyota to, to compete against. The, the Odyssey and the Toyota Sienna became these sort of expensive, not quite luxury premium vans. Mm. And only Dodge really kept a full spectrum of vans in its lineup for people who were on a budget and people who wanted to spend a lot of money. They kind of had those two poles. Yep. So, um, and, and, and even now the Kia's, you know, come back with kind of a more competitive, uh, van, that the, the Odyssey really hasn't changed. It's really held the course as being more expensive, almost, you know, more expensive than several crossovers that are similarly sized. So mm-hmm. I wonder if they'll do the same thing with the Ridgeline and just kind of stay the course and be like, well, the Ridgeline is for people who want to buy the Ridgeline, you know?
0: Yeah, they're basically for Honda customers. Yeah. Like, that's it. I don't know if that's a great strategy.
1: I mean, it's weird because I is not, Isn't that not a, what
0: Nissan does with the did with the Titan essentially they're like well we are we, uh, not really that special anymore so they're for Nissan shoppers and that's it
1: well the Titan was never really special i think the Titan is a much more complicated case the Titan exists because way back when in the in the mid 2000s Nissan had done research that showed that 40% of full size pickup buyers were willing to switch brands at any moment if they saw something that they like better or got a better deal, and that flew in the face 40%. of
0: that—that—that
1: that, that flew in the face of the established wisdom, which was that oh, you're a Chev guy or mm-hmm. you're a Ford girl, and you never make—you never make a change. I can tell you that's not true because. My father is a big pickup person. He, switched, he
0: switches on like a yearly basis. He
1: he has <laughs> since since I can remember, we've had Chevrolets, GMCs, Fords, Rams, and now he's back to Ford. And mm-hmm. and he is a Ford person. That's his brand of preference. But they all they he he will get a truck that he likes if it's a good deal and mm-hmm. a different brand if it offers him what he needs and I think that a lot of pickup truck buyers are practical like that and so yep. anyway that's why the Titan came out because Nissan was like you know what we'll take a crack at it but they never really followed through no. and the Titan withered and died on the vine so
0: well I I, I think you also said you you said pickup shoppers pickup truck shoppers are more practical I think you're right I also think that there are more value minded truck buyers than, than you think. I I think that's weird because I see a lot of those, um, what are they called? King ranches or those super tribal themed. Like, super expensive models. Yeah. But I also feel like there there's a lot of truck buyers who, who get, like, a, a regular XLT or... Yeah, that's, um, what, that's what my
1: dad's driving an XLT Ford right now. He actually mm-hmm. just traded in his uh, RAM for it last fall. Right.
0: And uh, they're eager to to make that switch from a mid-trim to another mid-trim. If the value is there, I think. And the value usually does... They, they compete pretty pretty heavily on that.
1: Yeah. And the, the funny thing is, he still has his 2012 F-150, <laughs> because he's emotionally attached to it oh. and he doesn't want to sell it. Um, so
0: did you guys have, you and him had some bonding moments in there? huh? Well, he just,
1: it's, it's, you know, more him, him that likes it. Okay. I mean, I like it, but I, I don't, I didn't drive it every day, you know, and, and he did, and, and it's still in great shape. So mm-hmm. the truck, these trucks do last and they, they maintain their value rather well.
0: So, yeah, that's a tough thing for, for Honda to go in to, to be found, to find themselves in. I'm, I'm skeptical. I really don't know how much longer the Ridgeline has to be in the market. I don't know if they're just happy with, with picking up the scraps in this in this segment. Um, and even then, it's a very weird scrap to pick up. I don't know what shopper is really... E- e- even as I said, if you can't get yourself into a Santa Fe or, or a Maverick because you want something that size, a Tacoma and a Colorado are cheaper. Yeah, um, but I mean, they're, they're, they're a different truck.
1: I, that's... You know, it, it's they're more trucky trucks. They're definitely not nearly as comfortable as the Ridgeline. It's, it's, right. it's much of the, it's the traditional truck experience, but the, the midsize segment is weird anyway, because the Tacoma essentially dominates with like a few yeah. hundred thousand units, Yeah, maybe like 200,000, I think. And like the Ridgeline did like 41,000 last year, which is essentially nothing in the world of pickups. No.
0: But if they're being when built. When Ford sells like 800 to 900.
1: Yeah, but if it's being built on the same assembly line as the Pilot, which it shares this platform with, it's yeah. probably not a big deal for Honda to make them.
0: And that's why – I think that's the route that uh, Hyundai took with the Santa Cruz, right? It's essentially a Tucson. Yeah. Interesting. That's a that's – a, I mean, that's a – it's a – it's a – it's one of those weird corners of the market that I think get forgotten for good reason, I think, at, at some times because it's not the most competitive product, but it has – its place, right? Like just as you mentioned, it might be for the the Honda shopper, the person who's who's familiar with a Honda product or has had really good experiences with their Hondas in the past, right? Maybe that's what they're they're leaning on. Sure, sure. But um, uh, m-
1: moving on to to products that were, you know had a stronger debut and kind of made more waves, I think you have a an interesting uh, SUV to talk about this week.
0: Yeah, I drove the, uh, 2022 Kia Telluride, and I mention, I make sure to mention 22 because a new 23 model has debuted, um, recently and it has a few more, um, visual, it was a mild refresh essentially. Okay. A few visual, uh, visual changes and some trim levels that, um, orient itself towards a more rugged look and design. Um, the Telluride, when it showed up, I think in 2019? It Sounds appeared? about right. Yeah. It came out. Um, was a very popular product. I, I think, critically speaking, it gained a lot of attention. It, alongside with the um, the Hyundai Twin, essentially, the Hyundai Palisade. Now, I drove the Telluride to to see what it's like these days. After driving some other um, really impressive new entries in the segment or upgraded uh, updated entries in the segment, like say the Jeep Grand Cherokee L or the Nissan um, Pathfinder which sure have both received really hefty and good um, updates the, this past few years. Does the Telluride still impress? That's the number one question that I, I was asking so it's, myself. It's the yes or no? You, you want me to just go out right and say it right I want now. you to blur it. As soon as I say it, everyone's just going to turn off. I think it does still impress. I think it really does. Okay, However, now,
1: the, are you comparing, what trim level is this Telluride? Because the top trim level of the Grand Cherokee oh, yeah, is quite well turned
0: out. That's different. I I drove the SX, which I believe uh, tops out at around forty-three thousand or so, Um, and I think there's even a few more trim packages that you can you can add after that. Um, And a like you'd have to get a mid, a low to mid-level Jeep Grand Cherokee L with the V6, which I don't think is its best powertrain. Um, I think those V8s are really good. But uh, you end up feeling that the the Grand Cherokee just doesn't feel as responsive. I think um, when it comes to throttle, when it comes to throttle response, or even transmission as well. Um, and then the Pathfinder is is okay. I don't really love that that engine they've gotten there, and the transmission was a little bit slow for me. But the design of the Pathfinder really resonated. But this new Telluride, I've got to. Admit, I mean, not new Telluride. This same old Telluride. Carry over Telluride. Carry over Telluride. It still impresses me from the from the moment you get in. The cabin design is quite good. It's got these really nice handles um, on the center console. Um, switch gear that feels um, good and, I, and sort of bespoke. I know yeah. you're a handles
1: guy. You're always I am a, going a handles on. guy. Like, handles materials are an overlooked subject in design.
0: I 100% have said that to you and will say that to you in the future because you forget about it. I do forget. I'm. I'm Pleasantly surprised by those aspects. However, uh, my press version, my press model had, uh, or my media vehicle had some, had some small issues that I, I think are worth mentioning to anybody considering buying it. For example, there was a, a storage compartment just under the infotainment screen that I think you're supposed to be able to close <laughs> because it has a hinged cover, but, uh, whatever the problem was in my press car, the, the hinge, the latch wouldn't wouldn't catch, Oof. and so this this thing stayed open the whole time, which okay. isn't a big deal because I think it's just it just covered the uh, wireless phone charger, and you want access to that. But still, I think it's a new
1: it's a new vehicle. It? It's a new
0: vehicle, and I don't think that's a great. It's a great first impression to have, right? No. And then the second thing is uh, the parking the front parking sensors on this vehicle were completely borked. Like they they were complaining about not working. They compl- they they weren't working properly. Occasionally they worked, and then they stopped working, and then the car just started complaining that I should probably get it to be seen. Um, which again is a bad look for, for a new vehicle, a fresh off the lot sort of vehicle. So I don't know if this is representative of, um, some quality concern issues that might be happening on these 2022 model year vehicles or all of the Tellurides up to this point. Um, and whether or not you have bought a Telluride or a Palisade, I would love to hear from you and know whether or not quality or, um, or reliability has been an issue for you. There haven't been as many reports on these sort of things that I, I've, I've heard from, and um, I don't know, like, like I think this thing is still relatively competitive. I think it does, it hits all the marks it's supposed to hit. I think at a starting price of uh, $33,000, $34,000, it's very attractive, and I think it's very well equipped. I think you can get it with a ton of features. The third row um, isn't the most comfortable, but it gets the job done. And I really don't have any concerns about the drivability of it. I think it handles well. I think it steers well. I think it responds pretty nicely. I kind of wish it had a better engine, just like – especially after talking about the Grand Cherokee L, which does offer um, a V8. Not that I think this needs a V8, but maybe a turbo V6 would be pretty cool in this, right?
1: But would you counsel people to – I mean, right now, it's almost impossible to buy a car. Whether you're looking at a new car or a used car. But what I'm saying is, are the upgrades that were made for 2023 worth waiting for?
0: No, I don't think so. No, no, I don't think so. Okay, not one. I don't. I don't even that's think. A, I mean, that's a, a pretty strong one statement. Is worth is worth uh, waiting for? I think the 2023 model is super mild of a refresh, mostly exterior design changes, and um, the unless you really want these. I think it's called XRT. Is the name of the um, trim level that they've added to that that specializes in off-road sort of it looks like it wants to be a, a a Subaru Outback. And not really something
1: that anyone who's shopping for this level of crossover is necessarily looking for in a Kia, I would think.
0: Right. I don't think so at all. Okay. Let me let me double check here. They've upgraded the the towing capacity I think to 500 uh, to 5,500. Okay. It's uh, so it's cool X. Finger. Sorry, sorry. the The trim levels are X Line and X Pro. Mis- I'm mistaken. That's totally trim- confusing. <laughs> X Line and X. What is even which,
1: the difference between X Line and X Pro? Like
0: I, you I, I really want me to? A, you want me to do this research right you, now? No, on no, no. On I'm on not asking
1: clutch. you for them specifically. I'm just like, if I hear those words, <laughs> it's just, it's almost entirely meaningless.
0: You know? <laughs> it's, right. I mean, it, it sounds like they wanted to go with, like, this is the M-Line product, and then the, like, a BMW M-Line car, and this is the M, the real M. And then they were yeah. like, we have X-Line and X-Pro, well, did, which is like TRD-Pro, I guess.
1: You used to be able to buy a Grand Cherokee X, which was the SRT look, but, yeah. like, the base motor engine. Yeah. Base <laughs> motor <laughs> engine. That's that's my command of the English language today.
0: <laughs> it was just the V6, if I remember, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think, uh, I, I think the, the refresh is super mild. I don't think it's, it's necessary. Um, I don't see why somebody would really want to, to go for that unless they really want this, uh, these, one of these two trim levels, the X line or the X pro, which look, they look cool. I guess if you want <laughs> that's what, if that's what you want your three row crossover to look like. Right. I guess. Um, anything else you want to talk about this week? Um, I believe that you had some news that you wanted to bring to our attention. Yeah. Talking about weird refreshes, how about this uh, news from RAM where they've created a model called the RAM 1500 TRX, which is a very cool product. We love this thing, or T-Rex, but it's also the Sandblast Edition. What do you think of that? <laughs> it's,
1: so basically for $20,000 more, you get different features and a different color. I, mm-hmm. I That's kind of what I'm seeing here. What about this dual-pane sunroof? That you Oof. get. So essentially, you pay twenty grand, and the next time you take a really sweet jump, you blow the sunroof completely out of your vehicle. It just seems like a bad, a bad mix to have like a Baja racing truck with a sunroof, unless that sunroof is made of like carbon fiber or something, like transparent <laughs> aluminum. Is
0: that a technology? Not yet. Maybe uh, you should patent it before the podcast. It's
1: it's essentially the, the the TRX with a level two equipment group, which is like a luxury package. And it it puts the price of the vehicle over $100,000.
0: That's wild. Uh, So, I mean, one of the things that I thought was interesting about this is I already thought the TRX was a pretty limited, rare, um, special product, right? But it got more special, Sammy. How can it get more special? Just Because now it's Mojave Brown.
1: (laughs) Now it's Mojave
0: Brown. Uh, That's kind of, that's The, the the vibe. The plaque in the center in the armrest says Sandblast Edition.
1: Okay. How much does the plaque cost just alone for my TRX? Can I get that?
0: Yeah, no. Can I
1: buy a dealer's parts department to just slip
0: me a plaque? <laughs> That'd be so great if you could. I don't think you can. Not once that. Probably one, not. One moment. Um, another piece of news that I saw was um, there was a big uh, app, a hubbub over at Apple this week, and uh, there they say that the new iOS is coming to your dashboard um similar i guess similar to the way that Android Automotive OS is a thing they think iOS 16 for the for the car dashboard is a is a reality that's coming to us
1: so i saw photos of this I, this deployment of um, iOS And it this, kind it's of... It's a very conceptual thing they've shown. Like it just looked like it took ginormous over... Two Yeah, it took over the whole dashboard. So you have to lean way over to the right side to do whatever's going on over there. Or the passenger is distracted by what's happening over there. I was confused. But the thing that struck me the most, and this is something we've talked about in the past and actually talked about before the show. what What... These interface designers don't seem to understand is that we don't want a laptop or a tablet inside the car. We want an automotive interface inside the car that is easy to use while we're driving. And we've had one of those for, I would say, decades. It's called buttons, sliders, and knobs. Those things work. You can judge how far you're going in one direction or the other without taking your eyes off the road. You keep your hand on the button or the slider, and you are—it's it's very simple to interact with, but requiring us to divert our attention from driving towards a visual interface, which is—it's it, just a huge safety issue. And yet, these implementations of iOS, especially, although some aspects of you know Android auto to do the same thing—they're—they're they're just begging for us to divert our attention, and it, it, it continues. For for years, like this isn't. It's not like this is a secret, Sammy. Like we no. understand that these interfaces are distracting, and yet they seem to be getting only more distracting from uh, certain automakers.
0: Well, not. I don't know. Okay, yeah, they're getting more distracting in the in the face that we're turning entire dashboards into screens, removing information away from the driver. This this iOS concept um, has the media information display in front of the passenger. Um, seating area, which means that you really have to turn your head, like to look at that and find out what's playing or or anything like that. Um, and I was even laughing, like I need my reading. I'll, you you might need your reading glasses to see what that what name is playing on that on that thing.
1: And, and um, it, it's come, it's really obvious that some car companies understand. Touchscreen interfaces other, Others don't And they're kind of Swept up by a zeitgeist Of like Whatever people are liking In the consumer electronics Segment at the time okay. yeah. So uh, we've, we've always liked You know Stellantis and Ford Do a pretty good job Of balancing tactic, Tactile controls With yeah, touchscreens
0: Almost the critical functions Of the vehicle That you would use Frequently Are also There's redundant Physical controls for those. Yeah
1: But then there's So many other companies uh, BMW is also another company That does a good balance but there's so many others like Acura, Lexus, Volkswagen, especially recently. Oh and, man! And um, these I don't know if
0: Volkswagen's going to make it out of this generation of infotainment technology. It's just wild going. the the
1: dive they've taken towards <laughs> creating a, a tablet that you happen to drive, and yeah. I don't see the appeal of that. I, I feel like we're going to be in we're we're kind of in a trough in the market right now. Where we're going to look back 10 years from now and there's going to be this slate of cars that were built with like piano black dashboards that are completely featureless when they're mm-hmm. not on and people are going to be able to you'll just look at those cars and you'll instantly be like dismissively say, "Oh yeah, that's back when everything was a touchscreen or everything was capacitive touch." Just like when we look at cars from the 70s and everything has velour on it or vinyl You know, or it's it's that kind of Or you look at cars from the 90s and they had like the big goofy GM plastic everything like. Yeah. But their steering wheels had like 60 buttons on them, like that kind of thing. (laughs) These are passing trends that never continued past their era because they don't actually help you in any way as a driver.
0: Now, the one thing that I think um, we overlook a a lot of times in our in our discussions of cars slash rantings (laughs) is no is voice recognition. I've used voice recognition in, in a lot of these cars. We've used it on we and you. You know, sometimes text each other while we're on the road through voice recognition or voice to text. Um, it can be hit and miss. I don't know if I feel comfortable um, using voice recognition in a car when there's other people in the vehicle. I don't know if that's if I if that's just me. If I'm self-conscious, or <laughs> what do if you I, mean? Like, so you have like a you're saying you have a, a terrifying secret, and it can't. No, come up. no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like, are you if, sure? If I have like friends in the car and I'm and I need to and I'm driving and I say you know uh you know lower uh, lower the h the what am I trying to say lower the temperature in the cabin to the maximum or the lowest like I'll feel weird saying that in front of all my buddies right won't I don't know if I'm the only one who would say that, I think or, you're the only
1: one who feels weird about that the only thing the only way it would feel weird to me is if by saying it my passenger thought I was
0: commanding them somehow. <laughs> But I mean, the, you you end up having to stop the flow of conversation that happens in the car if there oh, yeah. is one. I, I know you like to drive in pure silence with your with your with your passengers. Well,
1: most of the cars I own are too loud to use voice recognition, <laughs> yeah. even if it were a feature.
0: Okay. So, you're, you're, this is a, this is an unknown novelty for you to, to have a vehicle that you can hear someone. To be uh, honest,
1: it's weird because I do use voice commands in a car, but only to do one thing and that's make phone calls. I will use, I will, I will ask to call a certain name in my phone book. But I never say, like, turn up volume, change track. I, I never do any of that. I always use the buttons. And I don't know why. I, again, and you don't
0: have, like, a Google Home Mini or an Apple no, Home I don't, or I an don't. Amazon Alexa or anything I'm like not that.
1: In, I haven't commoditized my personal life to the point where I'm I cool. I think with... a
0: lot of people do. I have one. And, I mean, for whatever silly reason, we use it almost every day just to ask what the weather is like um, or, or to make some simple unit conversions when we're cooking or baking. So I imagine that – this is what people – this is what the automakers think people are going to be using instead of their hands while driving. And right. I don't think that's – I don't think that's legit. I don't think, I don't that's think it's right either. I think you're, you're definitely like, – like, consider me
1: and consider you <laughs> yes. both enthusiasts. But we both have very different approaches to using that particular technology. And we so, don't want to use voice recognition. And I don't feel that my use is normal. Like, I really yeah. don't. My dad has his texts read out loud to him in the car when yeah. when they're sent to him over Bluetooth. I don't do that. Yeah. I, I actually don't allow vehicles to have access to... And, and this is a bit different because for Sammy and I, it's kind of a security issue because we're changing vehicles all the time. Yeah. So you don't necessarily want to be too married to whatever vehicle you're driving because you don't want a lot of information to be stuck in that vehicle. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. But if it does happen, I would say it's not nefarious. I would say it's probably just an error on the programming somewhere. <laughs> but... um. Yeah, I just – when I'm driving and a text message comes in, like you said, if I have passengers, I don't want them to hear the text message. I just don't.
0: Exactly. So exactly. That's what I mean. If,
1: if I get a phone call, I leave the room. You know what I mean? Like it's polite yeah. in my in my mind. I have my phone call privately. It, it respects both the people in my house and the person I'm talking to. So, yeah, anyway, we all have different perspectives on this.
0: That's what I mean is that I think I would have a difficult time commanding the voice recognition while having another vehicle – especially having another another person in the vehicle. And, again, I, I feel like it, it is – it becomes impersonal, right? Yeah. I there's, so, just... sorry, go on. So I think that's where we might, and I, I would love to hear from people who do use voice recognition in their cards. I w- I remember it being a very novel concept back when, um, back when my, what was it called? My Ford touch happened. And they were like, you can change the radio station with your, with your voice. And I yeah. was like, that's, that actually works. Um, but you never really used it unless you were alone. The, 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 The only other time I use voice recognition
1: is when I'm listening to a podcast using Android Auto and someone on the podcast says a trigger word that launches like Google Assistant or whatever, and it interrupts my podcast and it's waiting for my input. But here's the thing. I don't have Google Assistant activated on my device, so it doesn't work. It just interrupts whatever I'm doing (laughs) until I say the word cancel, and then it goes back to normal. It's kind of frustrating. Interesting. Um, there is one more thing I want to talk about this week, Saving. Yeah,
0: man. Hit me up with this. I know this is a, a pretty important update, and I think we have a, a good shout-out to provide.
1: So uh,
0: I had a very bad time at the racetrack
1: last month. Well, I don't know. I had a good time, but it was expensive because I cracked – ended up cracking the head on my, my Datsun, um, and we didn't know it was cracked – until it got to the machine shop I uh, thought it was just a bad head gasket but it turns out no there's a crack and the crack could have been there for a long time but regardless it set me on the head on the hunt for another head and my dad said is 44 years old which means finding a good condition cylinder head is a challenge i had a lot of trouble finding one here in quebec but uh, a friend of a friend of mine and a loyal listener to the show Jamie Uh, reached out. He recently sold his 280Z and he has a garage with a bunch of kind of random parts left over that he doesn't need anymore. And he had two heads hanging around. One of them happened to be the N47 head that is a match for what I was trying to replace. So I, I went, I had another track day last week where I ended up dual driving my dad's Mustang for the day. And on our way down to the track, we stopped by and met up with Jamie and he gave me the head. Uh, he, the, the the caveat is he doesn't know anything about it. Um, he never used it. Just it was a spare. So we weren't sure what it would look like. Uh, took it to the machine shop. Ended up that the head itself was good. Uh, we had to take about 15 one thousandths of an inch off the bottom to straighten it out. But the, the head itself was solid, but the person who had used the head before Jamie had it as a part never really changed their oil and um, a lot of wear had occurred on the valve train. So most of the parts, the valves, rockers, et cetera, um, we can't use. but we are going to be making a Frankenstein head where we take uh, Jamie's um, uncracked head and the valve train and cam, or we might still we might actually use Jamie's cam. we're not sure yet. Um, cause I have a Nick on my cam from when a valve hit it many years ago. Anyway, we're going to make a Frankenstein head out of those two things. So that's actually <laughs> happening right now. It's getting a valve job, getting, uh, it's already been uh, honed and hopefully it'll be in the car sometime next week. It's been a bit of a challenge to get parts because not only, um, was it tough to find a head, but even finding stuff like head bolts and, um, various springs, it's, it, companies are not manufacturing stuff right now, Sammy. It's, it's like Mm -hmm. there's, I know a ARP, they're backed up until like August, just not Mm -hmm. being able to manufacture parts for engines. And, uh, even some of the places I went to that are using OEM parts, like uh, the, the springs I ended up getting were OEM. I had to wait a few days because they can't keep them on the shelves because so many people are ordering them, but the, the backlog in manufacturing is that bad. So long story short, Very optimistic that we're going to have a functioning head on the Dashboard. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you, you, Jamie, for checking your garage and hooking me up with what looks like the exact thing I needed for the project. And, um, pretty excited to have that car running and back on the track soon. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's tough having older cars like this. I'm kind of at the point now where I'm thinking, I should just start buying parts and storing them somewhere for when things eventually break. I already have a transmission that's kind of sitting around waiting for that to happen. So uh, I think this is a sign from from above or below <laughs> that's telling me I need to start stockpiling heads
0: um, if you have if you have um, any more ideas for Ben to or or many more stocks of parts to to, to fill ben, ben on, you really should get in touch with us. It's very easy to do so. you head on over to our website unnamed automotive podcast. Dot com. There's a contact form there. You fill it out, and we get it just like that. It's magic, the internet. I love it. You can also reach in, reach us through social media. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And you can find Ben on Instagram. He's at hunting HuntingBenjamin. Um, or you can just email us the old-fashioned way. It's BenjaminBenjaminHunting.com.
1: You can uh, also, if you want to subscribe to us, we're on pretty much every podcast service, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, all that good stuff. We're even on Stitcher now. If you want to support us too, you can go to ko-fi, ko-fi.com forward slash
0: unnamed automotive podcast and leave us a tip there. Sammy, what are you going to be talking about next week? Next week, I'll be talking to you about the Rolls Royce Phantom. Um, I'm, dri- I'm going all the way to uh, France to, tr- to test drive this thing. So were that'll you be just a fun in experience. France? Yes, but okay. uh, I figured it'd be—it's a good time to go back, right? Sure, it's uh,
1: what summer in France. Why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, what I about w- you? What are you driving? I'm going to be talking about the Mazda MX-5 Miata, Sammy. Ooh, it sounds like a very fun um, episode. Well, it we sounds like the two, two polar opposite in terms of weight and size. So that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so, almost like it's almost like the Rolls is a yacht and the <laughs> Miata is a dinghy that's towed behind the the Rolls.
0: Yeah, the tender. There you go.
1: Um, see see how afford- Sammy knows all these yacht words now after coming back from Monaco? The tender. Okay, I've been schooled. I'm sorry. My public school education is starting to come out, I
0: guess. Sure. I don't know. I don't know anything about anything. I just repeat what people tell me, and that's it. All right. Um, I can't wait to talk to you about it, So, and I'm sure our listeners can't either. So be sure to subscribe, and we'll talk to you next week.
1: All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye.